Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hey there, how's it going? Thanks so much for downloading another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hammerich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. Like many of you, I am intrigued and interested and curious and in some ways skeptical of the hype that's surrounding controlled environment ag and hydroponics. It's a fantastic way to produce more food locally where we couldn't any uh couldn't produce it in other ways. It's a great way to protect crops from outside factors by obviously controlling the environment. Uh, and it, it's a great way to create a consistent nutrient flow to a plant uh, using water in, in the case of hydroponics as opposed to soil. So anyway, th there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of skepticism. And, and I just wanted to kind of cut through all that and go straight to somebody who really, really knew what he was talking about when it comes to this industry. And I, I really got the right person on the show. Very, very pleased to share with you Joe Schwartz. And uh, Joe is with American Hydroponics, or also known as Amhydro. He's been working in this industry for over three decades as not only a farmer himself, but also somebody who consults with people wanting to grow either hydroponically or with controlled environment ag. He's really interesting because he, he's not here to tell you that everything about hydroponics and everything about controlled environment ag, and it's the secret and it's the one solution. He's here to kind of look at what's good about it and what challenges it still faces and how to do things the right way. And, and I'm just uh, really, really pleased with how this interview turned out. And I think you're going to enjoy this as well. So if you've ever had questions or been curious about hydroponics or about controlled environment ag and its impact on the future of the agriculture industry as a whole, you're really, really going to love uh, this interview with Joe Swartz. Joe is the vice president of American Hydroponics, uh, which was founded in 1984 and for the past 33 years has designed and built commercial hydroponic systems for growers across the globe. We'll go into more of the services they offer during the interview, uh, but I'm going to get straight to it. Enjoy this chat with Joe Swartz of American Hydroponics. Actually, right before we do here, just a real quick apology slash warning. The audio quality is not as good in this episode as I normally like it to be. I had this interview scheduled with Joe, didn't want to miss it. I had to run out of town unexpectedly, so I recorded it from my laptop, but uh, you're going to love the content. It's going to be well worth the listen. Enjoy this interview with Joe. excited today to talk about some hydroponics and some controlled environment agriculture with Joe Swartz, the vice president of American Hydroponics. Joe, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you, Tim. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and to listen to you, uh, speak with your listeners. Yeah, and I, I love this topic. I, I think it's, it's relevant. Uh, we hear about it a lot. I think People have knee-jerk reactions to how they feel about hydroponics and controlled environment ag, but I'm really excited to talk to somebody with three decades of experience in this industry and learn more. But but maybe for some context, can you just tell us all, how'd you get into this uh, this business in the first place? Well, uh, I'm a fourth-generation uh, farmer. I've uh, been growing vegetables for sale since I was about 10 years old and uh, was going into uh, agricultural college. And um, my dad was a potato farmer, and I was looking at you know the realities of that. It's a very low margin business. Um, I was looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars in equipment upgrades, 
And um, it really just, it didn't make sense for me. And so I really started to look hard at some type of small scale intensive agriculture, kind of with the idea of that I could do it myself or with a limited number of people and maybe a, a limited amount of equipment. And it led me to hydroponics. And of course, back in the early 80s uh, in the U.S., there wasn't a lot of hydroponic, um, uh, commercial hydroponics uh, going on. And so I was lucky enough to, to meet a retired professor who had been doing a lot of really pioneering um, work in NFT hydroponics down at Cornell University in the 1960s and 70s. In fact, a lot of the um, current um, multiple spacing NFT technologies that we use today were based on his work. And he kind of took me under his wing and he gave me some guidance. And I set up in 1985, I set up a uh, a small hydroponic facility on our family farm. And uh, it's been a long rolling adventure uh, ever since. And can you real quick, just define for us NFT? Sure. Uh, that's nutrient film technology or nutrient film technique. It is just a, a, a mechanism, hydroponic greens, leaf crops like lettuce or culinary herbs, things like that. And um, that type of system basically allows you to grow a, a wide variety of, of these types of crops in a small compact system. Okay. And, and what is the advantage of, why did you choose hydroponics, um, you know, growing them without soil as opposed to growing them with soil? You could have, you know, used soil and still done indoor and intensive and that sort of thing. Uh, walk us through yeah. that thought process. Well, I did, as you say, I, I really was looking at year-round agriculture. So, of course, some type of greenhouse or protected structure um, was obviously very important. And I started looking into what other growers using that technology, um, what they were doing. And hydroponic or soilless technology was kind of the, 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 the main method that they were using for that. So um, soilless production, the ability to control the nutrition that's going to the plant, the uh, ability to control water and conserve resources like water, and to also be able to control things like the root zone temperature in order to achieve much higher production and much higher quality really appealed to me. So the controlled environment agriculture does not necessarily need hydroponic techniques to be used in it, but it is, it is used most often in controlled environment ag. And is that primarily because you have more control over the, the consistency and the type of nutrient that the plant is, is taking up because you just put it right there in the water rather than it being kind of inconsistent throughout the soil? Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I, I like to to make the analogy of a, of a high-performance athlete, say an Olympic athlete. They would still perform based on their genetics and their training. They would still perform very, very well. But to achieve a real high level of performance, they tailor their um, nutritional uh, program and their, the foods they eat, when they eat, how they eat, all to enhance their athletic performance. And so we use the same type of concept with hydroponics by being able to control the root zone temperature, by being able to supply more dissolved oxygen, by being able to provide the correct nutrients that the plants need at the correct time, all allow you to grow much higher quality crops and to grow much more consistent, um, more nutritious crops as well. Okay, well, take us back there to, to 1985. Uh, you are young and uh, just trying to pitch to your family that it's time to take some of our growing inside and we're going to do it without soil. What was the response to that? Yeah, my dad was um, pretty convinced I was out of my mind. <laughs> uh, I, I don't 
I don't necessarily think he was wrong, but um, he did. Um, no, he, he was very supportive of, of my desire to go into agriculture. And this was in the 1980s. And the economy, we live in a college town. The economy was booming um, everywhere except in the ag sector. So farms were really struggling, dairy farms particularly, but also vegetable farms. And so he was very supportive of the fact that I was trying to find a new path in agriculture. Um, but, but, you know, he really was an old school Polish farmer. Um, we do things the same way forever. And, and so it, it took a lot to, to kind of pull him on board. Basically, um, he allowed, allowed me to, to set up a facility and kind of get going. And it wasn't until I was producing high quality crops and selling them in January and February did he, you know, finally kind of say, okay, that, that, that actually is working out. Okay. And how long did that take for you to to feel like you were good at it? Oh, um, de- definitely a while, a number of years. The the learning curve in controlled environment ag is very steep, and that was one of the things when I first got in. There was a big boom in the uh, in the industry, a bubble, if you will. Warehouser lumber, General Electric, Pepperidge Farms. Archer Daniels Midland, they all were these major corporations investing in these large-scale hydroponic greenhouses in Virginia and Pennsylvania, New York State. And the concept was this new Dutch technology is kind of the farming of the future. It's um, high productive, very low labor, very, very profitable um, agriculture. And it was based on a lot of misinformation. And, you know, over the next year or two, Every one of these facilities failed spectacularly. And, and the reason for it is that there wasn't enough growing technology. There weren't enough skilled growers who understood the industry. There wasn't um, the, the equipment that they were bringing over was very, very expensive and not very productive. So there wasn't a good return on investment. And that bubble burst. And it really set the industry back because it it really focused on what the industry wasn't. You know, the hydroponics was kind of looked at this, you know, new type of growing technology that was going to make a lot of people a lot of money and was kind of set it and forget it. You could basically turn the growing system on and the crops would grow themselves and just, you know, come right in. And, and, and so a lot of that really led to to the downfall of of these you know large complexes and this whole concept of farming of the future and that that was a term we heard all the time and so while the basic hydroponic technologies are very sound the technologies that they used and the approach that they had to the business was faulty and unfortunately that's a bubble that I'm seeing in the industry right now with a lot of the indoor vertical farming. We can talk about that um, as we go. But but again, there are some unrealistic expectations of what hydroponics or controlled environment ag is and what it isn't. So um, that's something that the industry has really struggled to to maintain good, solid kind of organic growth and not um, you know have a lot of investment or a lot of interest based on hype and unrealistic expectations. Yeah. And so this is exactly why I wanted to talk to you about this, because you're not just someone who's coming along smelling some investment money and saying, oh, I think I want to be a, into hydroponics now. You, you've been doing this a long time. And I, I think that's really, really 
valuable in terms of perspective. So can you briefly just explain to us how controlled environment ag, uh, I don't know, the, I don't even know if the term's been around for 30 years or if it's a new term, but how that industry has changed from back then, the boom and bust of the 80s to now? Well, it, it really is in terms of commercial production. I mean, there has been commercial hydroponics, you know, in the United States since the 1940s. And it was kind of very, very slow in growing because here in this country, we have a tremendous amount of good quality agricultural land and a real, a very, very strong agricultural industry, both on a kind of a local level and a national level. So in some European countries where the population was growing faster than the ability uh, of the ag sector to feed it, things like controlled environment ag were much more important. So a lot more work and effort went into it. So in the U.S. early on, it, it grew very, very slowly because there wasn't a need, if you will, or there wasn't seen to be a need for it. And as, as population, um, you know, urban areas and certain areas in the country grew exponentially in terms of population, we started to see the 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 kind of industrial ag model that we see today in terms of, you know, uh, centralized production in certain areas of the country and then massive distribution. And as our country grows and as things change, obviously the, the needs and demands for local, small scale local production um, have gotten going. And so as we went into the 1980s, obviously great economic times, people were starting to think a little bit more about food. And so there was a lot more interest in exotic farming techniques, if you will. And hydroponics and controlled environment ag, I, I like to make this point, is it's a growing technique. People always ask me that, you know, the, the future of food, will all of our food be grown this way someday? And, and, and I don't believe so. The, the real issue is that we have a need to be able to put agricultural production in areas that aren't necessarily suitable for agricultural production or in areas where we need to produce a high volume of crops in a small area. So again, this goes to urban farming or farming for um, large population centers. And so hydroponics and controlled environment ag is a growing technique. It's a very effective one, a very sustainable one, but it's just one of many tools that our ag process is going to use to feed us in the years to come. I love that. I, I like to refer to it as a portfolio approach to, to, to agriculture, to feeding the world. There's, I don't think it's, it's wise or beneficial to anyone to be so dogmatic about one growing technique to say that this is the one way that we need to feed everybody in the future. And, you know, come hell or high water, this is going to be it. So I, I appreciate you saying that because I, I definitely agree on that point. Uh, you alluded to the fact that we are in another uh, period of time in controlled environment ag where there is a lot of excitement around it uh, to the point where some might even say it's becoming too overhyped or, or uh, maybe similar to what you saw in the 80s. Um, what what factors are causing people to think that way uh, and, and kind of where where do you see good in it and what might be a little bit overhyped? Sure. Well, a couple of things. Um Tim, the um, the the buildup um, over the past few years. I mean, hydroponics has been very, very you know, very rapidly growing in terms of its productivity and its quality. Just um, 15 years ago, field tomatoes were um, about 96 percent of all the tomatoes sold in the U.S. were field tomatoes. So about four percent 
or hydroponic tomatoes. Now it's about 25 or 26% of the tomatoes sold in the U.S. are hydroponic tomatoes. So market share has changed dramatically. People in the U.S. are much more aware of hydroponically grown produce. They demand it. And so basically, as, as a number of factors have started to converge, people's interest in localized food production, people's interest in uh, food security, wanting to know where their food comes from, wanting safe um, uh, pesticide-free food, and then environmental uh, factors, people being concerned, the consumer, that most of this is consumer-driven. The consumer is now concerned about the impacts that agriculture has on the environment. So they want to look at ag practices that maybe are more environmentally sustainable. And then also people are looking at things like transportation. How does this transportation um, increase uh, costs? How does that impact the environment? Um, is this system sustainable as our population grows? All of these kind of factors um, have kind of converged to kind of create this resurgency in the interest of the consumer in controlled environment ag. So um, the, the, the notion maybe back in the 1980s or, or 1990s was you go to the grocery store, you buy your food. This looks nice. I'll take it. Now people are much more savvy about their food. Uh, they want increased uh, variety, different types of crops, different um, uh, flavors, textures, colors, and they're much more uh, interested in where it comes from. They don't want just, you know, the, the lettuce on the shelf at Whole Foods to, you know, just be there and you just buy it. It's they want to know where the farms are, what type of growing techniques were go have gone into it. So that really has pushed this really, really fast moving wave, if you will, of uh, investment and interest in hydroponics. And it, it's it's a great thing for the industry in a lot of ways. I, for years, struggled with certain markets with people not really being um, or being hesitant to purchase hydroponically grown product because they didn't really know much about it. And now consumers are much more interested in hydroponics because they understand it now. They know a lot more about the, the quality and the nutrition and the pesticide-free uh, aspect to a lot of it. So they're, they're asking a lot more questions and so they're demanding it, which is great for the industry. Unfortunately, um, we are a very technologically connected society and we love new technologies and so there's a lot of technology that's coming along in the controlled environment ag world that is not necessarily very productive or very effective and while <clears throat> excuse me while we're looking at growing systems say the indoor vertical systems the <clears throat> excuse me uh, indoor um, lit systems controlled environment the shipping container systems they look really, really interesting. And to, you know, to the common person, they, they look like this new futuristic kind of growing, which is exactly what we saw in the 1980s with these large scale um, greenhouse farms. And so that's all very interesting and good. But when you look at the productivity and the environmental footprint and the quality of the crops and the return for the grower, a lot of these technologies really aren't what they appear. And that's kind of one of the challenges that we see in the industry. And um, so so over the next few years, I think we're going to see um, a lot of technologies and a lot of companies and a lot of farms do very, very well when they adhere to proper horticultural practices, sound um, business decisions made 
um, again, on those horticultural practices and sound crop production technologies. But there will also be a lot of probably high-level or high-profile failures of a number of companies who are utilizing kind of the, the flashy, shiny object technologies that look really good but don't provide the kind of return that, that you need to have. Hmm. Now, <clears throat> you all at American Hydroponics, or, or AmHydro as more commonly called, um, you, you do a, a lot of different services, including consulting, project management, even professional grower training. So, so let's take me as a case study here. I'm in Austin, Texas, a very local food friendly community. In fact, I just recorded a recent podcast episode with uh, Jack Allen, who's a restaurateur in, in Austin, does farm to table. And he was telling me about all the farmers he buys from a really interesting episode there. But uh, let's say I want to, you know, and this is hypothetical. If I were to get out of the recruiting business and I, I want to start farming and I want to do uh, indoor farming because I don't have land in my family and I feel like that's just a, a better point of entry to me into into this business. How how would you advise me to proceed in getting started as a grower of uh, of indoor farming? Oh, great. Well, um, we, in fact, ironically, just finished an installation for a grower in Corsicana. Oh, and yeah. they had a very similar approach to you. So basically, they, want to get, they wanted to get involved and um, wanted to find the best way to do so. And so with you as a new grower, basically, one of the most important things is we really look, need to look at your market. What are you looking to grow and why? Um, sometimes people get into the industry or try to get into the business for the wrong reasons. They say, well, I want to grow hydroponic lettuce. Why? Well, because that's what I see other people doing. Hmm. So you have to look at what the needs are in your community in terms of local food. Um, we see a lot of small-scale entrepreneurs. Some come from farming backgrounds or want to augment their existing farm production. Other people, are, like yourself, are coming from industries completely outside of the ag production end of it. And so controlled environment ag or hydroponic techniques offer both of those scenarios, um, a very similar solution to their issues. So it's very important to look at your markets, what types of crops, um, particularly highly perishable crops, are in high demand, which crops will um, achieve a, a premium product, a premium price for a premium product. And then we kind of start from there and work backwards. So we say, okay, if in your market with the local high-end restaurants and some of the food co-ops and some of the local demand, there's a great opportunity for a grower to produce high-quality culinary herbs like sweet basil and cilantro and dill. And so we kind of help you to build a, a business plan or a marketing plan around that. And then we say, well, in your area, we look at your geography. What is the climate like where you are? What type of infrastructure is available? Um, obviously, you'll need a small amount of land, whether it's, it's within a building itself or just a small lot. But we want to look at a growing technique that will allow you on an economically sustainable basis to grow those crops and grow them in high quality and successfully. So we have to look at technologies like greenhouse technology. We can look at indoor uh, vertical growing and, and compare the productivity and the costs of those different types of systems and then decide for your investment, what is the best use of your investment dollars? And in most cases, it would be even on a very small scale with a very small land um, requirement, some type of greenhouse and hydroponic system. And that would allow you to grow very, very high quality consistently and to do so on an economically successful basis. So we have to 
pull all of those factors together and basically then mix them together and evaluate your approach. We don't want to start with a greenhouse or start with a grow room and then try to develop a business around that. Mm. We want to develop the business around the marketing opportunities. And then again, a greenhouse or a shipping container or a certain growing system, these are all tools. So we take and we basically assemble your toolkit to allow you to service those markets correctly. And that's really what we've seen as the correct approach to building a hydroponics business. Okay. So let's say for just for the sake of continuing this thought process here, I, I do that. And let's say uh, I decide I want to grow uh, Jack Allen's kitchen. He's got five restaurants. I want to grow him all of his cilantro. And this is, of course, hypothetical. So if, if you are Jack Allen cilantro grower listening, I'm not coming for you. This is, this is just, just for a thought process here. So let's say that's what I want to do. I want to grow all of his cilantro. Uh, and I do decide I can do that hydroponically in a greenhouse. It, it, and this is all relative to a lot of different factors. But roughly how big of a greenhouse am I going to be, need to be looking at if I want to bring home uh, an average income for my family? If I want to bring home $40,000, $50,000 a year for my family, uh, you know, am I going to need to go find a 100,000 square foot greenhouse? Nope. One of the important factors, though, that you will need to do is, is look at the volume of, of product that they could purchase. Let's just say for the sake of argument, they're looking for 2,000 cilantro bunches a week. And so we can also, again, using that that toolkit of technology that we talked about, is size your growing system accordingly. So we can size the growing system to specifically just meet those needs, or, or we like to oversize the system and the pro- productivity a little bit. So because it's always important to have a diversity of markets. So we want you to then be able to grow cilantro and market it to other uh, places as well. It gives you more security, um, it helps your business. We we never want to put all of our eggs in one basket, if you will. We want to be able to grow uh, a few different crops, and we want to be able to supply a few different markets. Mm. So we have to look at that and then size accordingly. But if you're trying to look at a business that will create a certain income level for your family, one of the needs in the industry was for a turnkey package. People would would be looking for I want a greenhouse. I want a hydroponic growing system. I want the growing supplies. I want grower support. I want it all. Kind of a turnkey system. One of the appeals of what, of some of these indoor shipping uh, shipping container farm systems that we see in the market. And while they're not as pro, uh, productive and they don't produce a good return on investment for the growers, they are very appealing because they're kind of plug and play. Yeah, you can set it and go. So what we did is we took all of our years of commercial experience and all of our contacts within the industry. We work with all the high-level greenhouse manufacturers, environmental control companies, and we put together what we call the Get Growing Bundles. And these are turnkey hydroponic farm packages, and they're based on certain sizes and productivity. And so if you were to, let's say you decided that for your needs, that the Get Growing Bundle was the best choice because you you wanted that greenhouse, you wanted the growing system, you wanted the whole package. So we would work with you on sizing and accordingly. We have se- several different sizes. One of them, which is called our 10K commercial bundle, which is a 30 by 96 greenhouse. So it's 2,800 square feet. And that will produce anywhere from 23 to 2,600 plants per week. So based on that, with a reasonable three to uh, three and a quarter year return on investment, you can be paying yourself 
thirty or four, oh, excuse me, forty or fifty thousand dollars a year as a grower and paying off your business at the same time. So that kind of gives you a baseline. And we do have for yourself and, and for your listeners on the Amhydro website, we do have um, a number of downloads. You can download technical information on and they will have costs and productivity levels and the thing, other extra things that you'll need and the things that we'll provide. So there's a lot of information that people can go and get for free to kind of help develop that rough business plan for themselves. And again, like you say, if you had an income level you were looking to hit, you could use those downloads to kind of find the correct and appropriate package for that. And what would be a rough ballpark realistic number for, for the 10K package? For a 10K commercial high end, there's two two versions. One is a Quonset style greenhouse, which is a, a $90,000 package, which basically is everything you need to get growing um, uh, with a highly productive system. Again, twenty three to 2,600 plants per week. And then we also have a gutter connect greenhouse version of that, which is 125,000. And what we have found is that growers are, are routinely achieving about a three-year ROI on it. So um, it's, it's, in our opinion, the, one of the most cost-effective and productive systems on the market. Hmm. Okay. And, and that would be, is that something where you could rent land and put that on, or is it like a permanent structure? It can't be moved once it's in. Well, no, technically we actually have a few uh, clients who have it on rented land and have the intention intention of being able to move the greenhouses. I'm not a big fan of moving greenhouses. It's a lot of work, but um, you certainly have the capability to do so. And uh, and so we, we do have uh, a few growers doing that option. Yeah. And I, I guess if you're getting your money back in three years, uh, you don't, it's not that far-fetched to, you know, to know that you can rent a land for, for three years at least. Um what are your thoughts on on aquaponics? It it seems to me because I I have very limited understanding of it. Uh, it seems to me to be something that's easier said than done. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, I got involved in aquaponics back in the mid nineteen eighties, and it it was kind of like hydroponics. It was one of those new technologies that looked really great. You know, we like to say it, it sounds great on paper, but what what the main challenge with aquaponics and aquaponics. Uh, is the the production of commercial uh, fish in an aquaculture system and integrating that with a hydroponic system and using the waste products from the fish to feed the plants. And you're managing two very complex ecosystems. And the ability to do so and maintain consistent production levels and to do so on an economically successful basis has been elusive to, to virtually every grower for the past 40 years. Um, I, I really I don't know of any commercial aquaponic facilities that have operated for any length of time and been financially self-sustaining. I wish that wasn't the case, um, but unfortunately it is. We have growers that are actually employing aquaculture techniques to produce fish and then also using a hydroponic system to grow plants, but they don't connect the two and they have great success doing it because if you focus on the needs of the the fish in the aquaculture system and the plants in the hydroponic system, they are significantly easier um, to manage effectively. 
Great. And yeah, for those listening, you probably were able to deduce this from what Joe just said, but aquaponics is integrating the two, having both a fish farming system and then having the water to use as a hydroponic system. So integrating the two into one, it, it sounds uh, it sounds great, but but almost too good to be true, right? <laughs> if you're going to have aquaculture, yeah. why not have aquaponics? <laughs> well, I think it's a little harder to manage uh, two different environments optimally. Is kind of, it sounds like what you're saying, Joe. Is that right? Yeah. The, the notion is that these two production systems integrate very easily. The plants feed the fish, the, uh, excuse me, the fish feed the plants, the plants clean the water for the fish and everyone's happy. And unfortunately it doesn't work out that way. It's a, it's a, it's a much more intensive, um, process than that. And, uh, one slight disruption and in systems like this, these, you know, types, any type of disruption, uh, can happen all the time. And one slight disruption throws the entire balance off. So that kind of perfect symbiotic relationship, um, between the fish and the plants, unfortunately, just does not exist. Gotcha. Hey, what's? I'm sure there are growers, despite their best efforts, that uh, just can't seem to make it work. What What are the biggest reasons that you see controlled environment agriculture growers fail? Well, the the biggest failure is that um, people sometimes make the mistake of not realizing that this is farming. I like to always tell new growers, I say, welcome to farming. It's farming, period. The techniques that you use may be slightly different than some of the more conventional agricultural techniques, but you are still dealing with commercial crop production, which means you need to provide certain parameters, certain inputs for plants, for living complex organisms. And what I see a lot of, and this is one of the things that hydroponics has created challenges for itself, is that people fall into, as we kind of talked about earlier, is that the the notion that a hydroponic system is very automated and automatic. And so, you know, you plug in the pumps and the system feeds the plants and everything takes care of itself. And so we see a lot now, you with especially with technology and the indoor farms and the uh, shipping container farms, where growers are encouraged to sit at Starbucks and pick up their iPhone and look at the current environmental control conditions in their in their grow room. And there's a lot less hands-on growing. We tell growers all the time, you need to be in the greenhouse, in the grow room, spending time with your crops. We have even had a, recently a, a company trying to develop some of the technology. They're boasting that we take the farmer out of the farm. You don't need to be a farmer to run these farms. And I think, one, it's a, a mistake from a production standpoint, you know, for sure. And secondly, I can't understand why you would want to take the farmer out of the farm. This is, in my opinion, this is one of the greatest industries um, for people to get into. I've been doing it all my life, and I love it. And it is challenging, though, and it requires a lot of hands-on attention. And one of the big challenges that the industry has, has seen before and, of course, is seeing again is some people are getting away from that, and they feel that they want to rely on And technology is a great tool. It's a great thing but they rely too much on technology at the expense of human involvement. Yeah, it reminds me of that old adage about the best fertilizer is the farmer's footsteps, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> um, it seems to me, and maybe this is because I'm in my bubble here in Austin, that it, it's becoming, you know, companies like yours, American Hydroponics, are making it uh, more and more realistic for people to get into farming, which I think is fantastic. Do you ever worry that 
so many people get into controlled environment agriculture that it starts to put downward pressure on the the premiums you know that that farmers are currently getting so basically uh, more supply and and the price goes down and it makes it less and less viable or am i just thinking way too much about this no and that that's a very valid point what what we've seen um unfortunately as again um, especially in small localized areas, we see a number of small producers. And what I have seen in my own business as a hydroponic grower, and then uh, I've worked with growers all over the world, and I, and I see this consistently, is that sometimes growers will get in and they will compete for the same market share with the same crops. And in many cases, with the same marketing plan and the same approach. And in terms of food production, there is a lot of room. We still import so much of our food, and there's still such a need for local production of fresh vegetables and herbs and greens. And what we have been trying to do, what I've done in my own business and what I try to do when I consult for other growers is help growers in the same geographic area to work together, produce companion products, sometimes even co-branding or co-marketing, but at the very least, be being able to and having the awareness of growing crops that may also fit into the local needs and not to be competing head to head. And especially in small scale local production, this is real important because if in a small area, if you have two or three lettuce growers all growing green bib lettuce, no one wins. Well, the, the, the local produce buyer wins because he has ample supply and he has them competing against each other and he gets a, a better price point. But if those three growers got together and one was growing green bib lettuce and one was growing basil and one was growing uh, a variety of different uh, greens like kale and chard and cress, they would all be doing much better. And again, as the example I used earlier in hydroponic tomatoes, taking over a, a much more significant market share, we're going to see that also in fresh greens. And um, leafy greens in particular, already people are demanding locally produced fresh, high quality. So there's a lot of room for growers to work together to grow a number of different crops. We don't all have to grow lettuce. A great point. How do you see this aspect of agriculture, this corner of agriculture looking different in, in say 2050? I don't think it's going to be dramatically different, to be honest with you. I, I do see, obviously, it will be a lot more of our market share. Uh, I envision a lot less large-scale centralized production and distribution and a lot more local. And we're seeing that, obviously, that movement now. And I think by, you know, in the next 20 or 30 years, I think that we're going to see um, a pretty significant shift to that. So, but I think the technologies, while the technologies are going to continue to improve and evolve, I think the basic platform will be very, very similar. Um, the distribution models of producing much closer to the point of consumption, um, innovative models like CSA programs, home delivery, um, on-farm sales, things like that are going to also increase. Um, we're going to see much more resilient local food economies all over North America. Great. Well, before I let you go, Joe, if, if you could ask just one thing of this audience, which is a really good cross-section of various agricultural perspectives, if you could ask them one thing today, what would it be? Wow. Well, um, a lot of people have come to me um, looking for information and they are doing a lot of research. I mean, as I mentioned, there's a lot of information out there. 
what I would ask people to do is to gather as much information as they possibly can, but to look at it with a very skeptical eye. And, and what I'm saying in that is, is that you have to look at the source of the information. We have, with that increasing bubble that we've talked about in controlled environment agriculture, we have a lot of quote-unquote agricultural experts and consultants who have never been commercial growers. They have, we have companies that are trying to sell systems or technologies that have not been used in any significant scale in commercial production. So what we ask people to do is look very closely at not only the information, but the source of information. There's a lot of credible information from growers or companies that have been doing it successfully, and that's what you want to model. So I ask people to look. Um, our company, M Hydro, we have two-day intensive grower seminars where we have Growers come and people come and spend time in the greenhouse learning by doing. We have informational webinars, Facebook Live, lots of stuff on social and a lot of information where we can demonstrate what we're talking about. So I'm a very big believer in the kind of the notion of show me, don't tell me. And I, and I ask that um, anyone interested in, in controlled environment ag to look very carefully at that. If someone says, I have this new type of technology and system and this is what it's going to do that may look great but if they can't show you where they're doing it and doing it well and doing it on an economically successful basis then there's really no credibility in that so i would ask people in their quest for knowledge to look at it very skeptically even the information that i'm giving you if i can't show you exactly what i'm telling you if i can't demonstrate it then my information is not credible either. So I ask people to really look at that in that way and, and continue to ask people who are doing it, what they're doing, how they're doing it, um, getting, ask them to get involved in commercial um, hydroponics, uh, whether volunteering, getting jobs, and, and looking into starting businesses themselves. I think that that's going to be really the backbone of our food production in the years to come. So the more usable knowledge and information people get, the better we'll all be. Uh, that's, that's great perspective for anyone. I mean, definitely looking at information with a skeptical eye and asking people who are actually doing it to show you uh, rather than just tell you. Uh, well, if people in their quest for knowledge want to reach out directly to you, Joe, what's a good way online someone can get in touch with you? Um, well, we can visit us at um, amhydro.com. Um, my personal email is joe at amhydro.com. We have a very big social media presence, uh, Facebook, American Hydroponics on Twitter, um, Joe Swartz on Twitter. All of these social media sites are loaded with contact information, photographs of real growers all over the world. Um, so there's a lot of information out there. Um, just reach out to us. LinkedIn is another one. We have a presence on LinkedIn. So feel free to, to access any of those um, uh, sites and uh, contact us and we'll be happy to speak with you. Well, I've loved this. Thank you so much, Joe. I, I really appreciate all the information. I know everybody else is going to enjoy uh, learning more about this aspect of agriculture as well. Thank you for being on the show. Tim, thank you very much for the opportunity and uh, look forward to speaking with you again sometime soon. that somebody who knows what they're talking about or what? I, I really love that chat with Joe. Would love to continue the conversation with him and learn more about the work he's doing. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did because I thought that was uh, that was really fantastic. And um, certainly 
a perspective of somebody who has lived this industry for three decades. Uh, thank you to those of you who have taken the 30 seconds to leave us an iTunes review. I have another one that I'm very pleased to read uh, to you here today. This is from Derek of Seward. Uh, it says, thoughtful and insightful look at agriculture. Tim delivers a very clear, well-produced podcast talking about the important issues in agriculture and ag business. Podcasting really needed a show about agriculture, and this gives great perspective and information. The best part is how Tim always seems to find great personal anecdotes with his subjects and their lives. Thanks, Tim. Hey, thank you, Derek. I, I really appreciate that feedback, and we'll try to keep uh, the standard high and continue those personal anecdotes. If you haven't yet had a chance and you're enjoying this show, it would really help me a lot if you could just hop on iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Also, I would be honored to, to read that review on a future episode of this show. So thank you so much for listening, allowing me to do this every Every week, we will be back next week with another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com. That's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.